Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. So my daughter, Abby, uh, turned 15 this last June, which what that means is she got to start driving a car. It's a terrifying experience for anybody who's been in that spot before. It's not just terrifying because of the fact that she's driving a car, which is terrifying. It's the, the independence that's coming. And I'm telling you, from the time she was like six years old, I started thinking about things like, man, she's a third of the way from going off to college, and I would like get all teary and choked up and stuff and now it's like it's like three years or whatever um and that's that's kind of a terrifying thing but when when she turned 15 she got her temps we decided okay well it's time to start learning how to drive so what do we do we came to the church parking lot um we did not do it on a weekend because if we had done it on a weekend when there were cars in the parking lot uh all of your cars would now be dead because <laughs> um, it wasn't it wasn't pretty the first time that we went out there um there were uh, times where it's like she forgot which was the gas and which was the brake. I'm like, slow down. Whoa, you just went faster. Stop it. Um, okay, we're going to turn. We're, gonna, we're in the parking lot. I'm like, we're going to turn, but I want you to practice putting your blinker on. And the moment that it was like, try to put the blinker on, you stop steering and you, like, you're going somewhere else. It's crazy stuff that happens. I remember when I was a kid uh, starting to learn to drive. It was tough. That blinker just, that was a hard thing to, to get down, I, I tell you. Um, but then I'm like, well let's, well, let's at least go on a road. First day, let's, let's go on a road. And so we took this little back driveway back here and got on the road out there. And it, was a, it was a remarkable experience, you guys. And when I say remarkable, I don't mean remarkable good. I mean like remarkable like, oh my goodness, I'm about to die and I didn't tell my wife goodbye. It was, it was dangerous. Um, so I get home and I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, honey, I just don't know if we can let her do this. I don't, I don't remember ever being that bad. Um, I love you, hon. You've gotten so much better. All right, she's gotten so much better. So the last eight months has been me driving around with her and, and annoying everything out of her because she's like, dad, stop talking to me. Stop. And she'll, like, she'll stop too quick and I'll do this kind of thing really just to, to freak her out. And she's like, dad, stop it. Well, it's fun, okay? Um, we're, the toughest thing, though, is I, if you know where we live, we live on the, the, this corner of, of Wright Road and, was it Randolph? Randolph. Randolph. Um, and there's a stoplight there, and it's a lot of traffic, and so it's constant. Every time we're backing on the driveway, I'm, I'm looking around, I'm telling her things to do. When we're coming out of the garage, it's like, all right, honey, uh, go back slow, look to make sure nobody's walking behind you. Well, honey, watch out for the mirror. Watch. And then what happened is we got in the car a couple weeks ago. And we were running behind time. We're doing our typical thing. She's the kid that's like me. And so we're just bickering back and forth, being sarcastic to each other. And I'm not paying attention backing out of this garage very well. And I'm looking over and I'm like, stop doing what you're doing. And I'm backing up and I hear a sound over here. And it didn't register right away until I had gone like another six inches. And I stopped the car and I looked over and I busted the side mirror. It's like cracked in six different places on the mirror. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh man, I've, I've been telling you about this for so long and here I'm. Now to be fair, in the first week of driving, she did run over a, a rock the size of a medicine ball. So I just need to, it, I need to be fair here, okay? But, 
this, this side mirror, it, it's funny because side mirrors, you don't realize how important they are until you've got one messed up. It kind of reminds me of a referee in a game. You don't realize how, how important they are to be good until they're really, really bad. And so this side mirror, the good thing is it still, it still can work and stuff. And I'm cheap enough that I'm never going to get fixed. <laughs> I'm going to be driving around in our van with this broken mirror forever. But this, this mirror, this side mirror, I was thinking about it this week, and it made me think of something that I, I remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in one of the books that I, I read about him. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he, is, he was a German pastor during the time of the Nazi uh, invasion uh, um, when they were doing all the bad stuff that they did. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer fought against the Nazis. He conspired against Adolf Hitler. And to the point that they actually put him in a concentration camp and he died in a concentration camp as a German pastor. But one of the things that he said was this. All things appear as in a distorted mirror if they are not seen and recognized in God. All things appear as in a distorted mirror if they are not seen and recognized in God. Now, every one of us, we've probably seen, I think they still put it on all the side mirrors. The things are, things are closer than they appear in the side mirror. Anytime you look in a side mirror, like it, it's, it's a good thing to have, but it is not a perfect reflection of what's actually behind you and, and how close it is. And Bonhoeffer really is saying here that if we are not seeing things through the eyes of God, if we're not looking at things through this lens that is the lens that God looks through, we're going to mess things up. We're not going to see things as they actually are. It's going to be distorted. And I think if, we're, if we would face this today, we'd realize that a lot of this world is seen through a lens that is not God's lens. We look at the world through worldly eyes, I think more often than we'd like to admit as Christians. We see ourselves in incredibly distorted ways because we don't look at ourselves through God's eyes. We don't look at the people around us through God's eyes. And so it changes things and it distorts it. You know, people today, uh, they, they would rather see themselves as victims uh, rather than being freed from victimhood. I don't understand this. We're, we're in this competition in, in our society today of trying to, trying to see, tell people, well, this is why, why I have everything against me. This is why I'm a victim. And, and I look and I go, Jesus came to this world and died for our sins to free us from everything. And yet we still want to put ourselves in these boxes of why life is so bad for us. And as a Christian, I think that's, that's looking at the, the world through worldly eyes rather than through this, the eyes of God, through a lens that is God's to give us. So today what we're going to do is we're looking at uh, the sixth message in this Colossians series, looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And this passage, it really speaks to our identity that we have in Jesus. It's this, I think it's a new way that we're supposed to look at ourselves. It may not be perfect, but it's a, it's a way of looking at ourselves that's, that's full of hope and that's full of promise. And it's alive. A lot of the ways that, that our society, the way that we look at ourselves as individuals, it is not alive. It is, it is kind of dead. We need to look at ourselves a different way. We all want to identify ourselves in ways that matters. Question is, is there one thing that we can identify ourselves with that matters more than anything else? Is there one thing that we can identify with that, that can give us hope, that can bring us contentment, that can bring us health, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually? So that's what we're going to look at in Colossians 3. Uh, so I'm starting off here, verse, verse 1, going through 11. 
Paul writes to this church in class, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, of, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I said it every week. These passages are so full of stuff. Um, I'm ho- I hope that you, if, if it's... If you, as we go through this, you're like, man, there's more in there than what, than what I can take in during the sermon. I hope we're going home and, and, and reading through this, using the study guides, because um, there's just so much here. But we have a really hard time feeling worthwhile or valued without certain titles and abilities that we are seen as having. Uh, for me, this, this started off at, at a really, really young age. Um, maybe, maybe that's not the way for, for some of you, but... For me, man, at a really young age, I wanted to be identified in a lot of ways that had to do with sports. Um, I remember kindergarten, we had to run the mile in gym class. And a lot of you guys didn't worry about running the mile in gym class. It was just whatever. Some of you were worried all day about it, but it was different reasons than what mine were. Your reasons were like, I don't think I can live and I'm going to die. I don't want to do this. For me, it was, I'd be nervous the whole day that we were going to run the mile at school because I wanted to be the fastest every single time. I wanted, I, in my life, I always wanted to be seen as the fastest, as I wanted to be, have the title of the best basketball player in my class. I wanted to be the smartest. I wanted all these titles all the time. It's funny because guys like me that want to be all that, a lot of times it's funny how we don't want to identify in other ways like the nicest or the kindest. My wife wanted those, those kinds of titles, and she got them. She's really good at those. Um, but those weren't always the kind of titles I was looking for. But all of us, we have a, a certain hope for how we want others to see us. We have identities that matter to us. Uh, one of my friends who's a missionary in India, uh, we were at one of our Bible camps with, with kids uh, a number of years back, and he said something about identity I thought was, it was super good, but it was also super scriptural, scriptural. And he said, any identity that takes precedence over Jesus is an idol in your life. And as long as your identity is in something outside of Jesus, you will be consumed by what people think of you. Any identity that t- takes precedence over Jesus, it's an idol. But then also, if it's, if it's something outside of Jesus, it, you're going to be thinking about what people think about you all the time. That is, I, I think a lot of us were consumed with what other people think about us. And that's a, that's a telltale warning sign for us that, that our identity is getting put in something that is not quite right. If you're worried about what people think about you, your identity is, is, is probably somewhere that it shouldn't be. And so Paul, um, I want you to look at what he says in these first two verses of this passage. 
He says that we're not supposed to have this earthly kind of thinking. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I think this is a really important thing that he's trying to convey to this church in Colossus. I think it's a really important thing that if we can figure it out, it's going to change the way that we look at ourselves. It's going to change the way we look at other people and the world that we live in. True identity is never found horizontally. It's found vertically. If you want, if you want to live in the right kind of identity that God has for you, it's going to be found not horizontally, it's going to be found vertically. Uh, when my mind is set on things above, it means that I have a different perspective. Um, I'm seeing things from a different place, a different frame of mind. Uh, and if I'm looking at things from above, rather than looking at things the way that the world looks at things, I'm going to be a healthier person. And that goes for my identity just the same. Uh, if I'm so concerned about what people see me as, that's what Paul would say is, is looking at things uh, on, on this earthly level, horizontally. If I care so much about what, what you all think about me, I'm not worried about the thing that matters most, which is how God views me vertically, that relationship with God. Um, if I'm looking at, at my, my value horizontally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find value in the same things that the world finds value in. A lot of times those things are, it's just things that don't matter. But finding my value vertically from God is always going to be the thing that's going to matter. Um, I actually saw this play out, I think, uh, in kind of a cool way uh, recently, in, in, of all places, in an NFL football game. Uh, a couple weeks back, it was a Monday night football game, a, a big football game against two of the best teams in the league, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of you probably have heard what this story was. Um, they're, I think they're in the middle of the first quarter or something, and game is tight, everything's going the way the normal NFL football game goes, and all of a sudden, what happens is there's a, a young man on the Buffalo Bills, a safety, that uh, he gets hit right, right in the chest, and his name is De DeMar Hamlin. Gets hit in the chest, and the moment that he gets hit in the chest, he gets up and then he just falls. He has, he has a cardiac arrest right there on the football field, and everybody was in shock for nine minutes. They were out there on the field trying to revive this guy. For nine minutes. I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like that in a sporting event in my entire life. I was actually in the car and I was listening to stuff because I had heard about it happening. And so I, I, I started listening to what was going on in the game. And, and you've got these announcers, like, they don't, they're just speechless. They don't know what to say. The whole crowd, it was in Cincinnati and this was a visiting player. The whole crowd is stunned. They're quiet. And what was crazy is they, they ended up stopping the game completely. And there wasn't one person uh, who, who walked away from that football game mad because they stopped the game. All anybody cared about at that point was, was this young man going to make it? In that moment, we saw in, in, in our world, in a place where it normally wouldn't happen, all of a sudden, this verse, these first two verses kind of came to light. All of a sudden, nobody cared about the outcome of a football game. They cared about something bigger, about something more important. And, and what was really cool is this week, this, this kid, Damar Hamlin, he walked out onto a stage uh, at a, an NFL awards banquet, and all of the first responders who, who helped him either at the game or when he was in the hospital were up on the stage, and he was able to come out on the stage and thank them. But he did something more than thank them. He actually, in that moment, he used it as a platform to talk about what God had done in his life. And I wanted to read to you what he actually said on the stage. I think it was so cool. Um, I, don't, I don't quote 
pro athletes all the time in my sermons, but this was, this was really pretty cool. He said, every day I'm amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encouraged to pray, encouraged to spread love, encouraged to keep fighting no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing that I would have cho- ever chosen to be part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a greater purpose than any game in this world. I'm telling you that. I'm, I'm going to use the word remarkable for the second time in a sermon today. That is a, that's a remarkable young man. And he is looking at this, honestly, the way that Paul is talking about in, in verses 1 and 2 here. Not looking at what happened to him from an earthly mindset, but, but from above. He's thinking, you know, I, I just wanted to be seen as a good football player. But if this is what God wants to do, if, if God wants to take me through something to the point where I even come close to death, but it, but it brings God glory, then let's do it. And that is, that's putting your mind on things above, setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And the temptation, though, that we battle is believing that it's our plan that's the one that should happen all the time. <laughs> Putting my mind on things above means choosing to believe that God has a better plan for my life. Like for this young man, even if it means being on the, on the ground during that football game for nine minutes, struggling for his life. It also means I don't have to be privy to all of the things that God wants to do with my life. I don't have to know it all. It's okay if God is going to keep certain things a secret from me for a time. I don't have to be in the loop on everything. What I need is I just need to trust him. I need to see things from above and say, okay, God has, God's got a plan. He's, he's figuring this out. But if we're going to be upfront about this, it's not easy to trust like this. I don't think for any of us that this is easy. We hold on to what we know. <laughs> It's hard for us to let go of the things that we know. It's, it's interesting. Even things that we know that are unhealthy for us, it's hard for us to let go of those things sometimes. You know, you can even look at, to it with abusive relationships. Abus- abusive relationships can be hard to let go because it's something that we know. But going to something else, it can just be scary. It can be scary to let go of the thing that we know. Dying to our old way of living, it can be really threatening for us. And so I want you to hear these two verses from this passage, verses 3 and 7. Here's what Paul says. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. True identity is found in giving up your past life for a life that's better. Paul wants us to realize that there is something better in the life that he wants us to go for, to give up this old past life. True identity as a follower of Jesus means that that death to our old life actually has to take place. We don't give it any favoritism whatsoever. We're living this new life. You know, for some of us, I I gave my life over to Jesus when I was four years old. It was Valentine's Day, 1985. I was four years old and 15 days. The only reason I remember that is because my sister's birthday is the day before, and I know I'm two weeks old. It's, It's one of these weird things, okay? But I remember giving my life to Jesus when I was four years old. Now, I can't look back and be like, man, my life before Jesus was so rotten and I was such a sinner. I wasn't like, I wasn't robbing banks at four. I wasn't carrying a switchblade around and knifing people, all right? But just because my life wasn't this grand life of a a horrible sinner, 
there are things that have come into my life still up to since that day that sin has destroyed in, at times. I have to choose to believe in my identity as a new person in Christ. Otherwise, what happens is, even though it was only four years of living without Jesus, there's still that sin nature that I have to say is no longer a part of my identity. And if I don't, what happens is that sin creeps in. Sin always wants to creep back in if we allow it. As a follower of Jesus, I am hidden with Christ in God. I love that passage right there that Paul says, that we are hidden with Christ in God. That it's like we've got this sinful nature and no longer is that the thing for us. I now am, I'm hidden with Christ in God, away from that sinful nature. But man, I like to peek out sometimes from that hiding place. My true identity is to be hidden with Christ in God. I'm dead to sin, but I have to choose that that is what the identity is that I'm going to believe in, that I'm going to live by. I'm going to choose that I've died to the life that once was a part of me. There is an ongoing tension, though, between this understanding that we're dead to our earthly sinful nature and also finding that we continue to slip back into that sinful nature. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, every single one of us, I think you probably understand what I just said. I know that I'm not, I know that I'm not living in that death. But man, I still struggle. Why? And I love what one of our pastors, uh, George Calhoun, said while we were talking about this message. Um, he, we, he came on staff with us uh, late fall, um, and he's doing a great job with discipleship stuff at the Beloit campus. But he said this, a lot of Christians need to take off the old grave clothes. They're alive in Christ, but they're still living in the graveyard. Now, just, just think about that a little bit. We're alive in Christ, but it's like we're still living in the graveyard. You know, one thing that happens in the story of, of, of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, in John chapter 20, there's a place uh, near the end of this, of this book where Jesus has been, been resurrected. And Mary Magdalene comes to the disciples. She has just gone to the cave where Jesus was buried. And she realizes Jesus' body isn't there anymore. And so she goes back to the disciples. And she tells, particularly John and Peter, she's like, I don't know what they did with Jesus' body. Like, he's gone. And so John and Peter, they go run into the grave. And it says when they get there that they found the, the linens that Jesus had been buried in there in the grave. Jesus wasn't there, but... the but his, his grave clothes were in the, in the grave. Now, that's a whole other story about, like, where, how is he dressed now? I don't know. Okay, but the grave clothes were gone. Because Jesus isn't going to walk out and walk around as a living person with grave clothes on. I'm telling you what, you want to creep me out? Get me an outfit from somebody who's been buried for a while and tell me to wear those clothes. I'm not going to do it. None of us would want to walk around in grave clothes. But that's kind of what it ends up being... That's how we live our lives when we continue to go back to our old life of the sinful earthly nature. And God's telling us, that isn't you anymore. Take off the grave clothes. Our true identity looks so much different than, than the way that we're living sometimes. Verses 5 and 8, Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And then verse 8, he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So Paul lists, specifically, he lists 10 things here. 
10 things that we have to die to in our lives. Believe me, there's probably a lot more, okay? 10 things that many of us would look at, I look at and I kind of wince sometimes, like, oh, not doing that one too well. Not putting that one to death too well. It's interesting because we tend to hate rules as people, especially, you know, I think as you get older, you start to realize maybe that rules are healthier, but when you're younger, rules, and this is why a lot of people maybe don't even come to faith in Jesus. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, you're all about grace and Jesus giving you forgiveness and all that stuff, but yeah, here's the rules, telling me not what to do. That's why I figured. Sometimes, though, we go to the other extreme we're, we're so big about grace that it's like, yeah, you just do whatever you want, which is a, probably another extreme that, that it, it goes too far. So what then is the value of reading ourselves of all these things that Paul talks about? All of these things provide moment-by-moment moment satisfaction in some manner. Sexual immorality. Uh, that's far from thinking that's above. That is right here, right now, getting pleasure however a person wants. Anger, man, I'll tell you what, anger really feels good in the moment, right? It feels good to get upset and just let it out. That's not thinking that's from above. That's thinking that is earthly. Our lead pastor, David Clark, he actually says this about these two verses. He says, these verses are the guardrails. They kind of just help us stay, not just in check, they they help us stay healthy. I think it's okay that God gives us some rules of like, this is what you should try to live by. Because it's healthy for us. We should want to be healthy people. In James 3.17, James actually talks about the wisdom of living differently from what what these ten kinds of things are that Paul's talked about. He says, uh, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Good fruit in our lives getting away from these things that we should be getting away from that we've died to, it is wisdom to get there. But this is a massive ask on our part, right? It's hard to just, to just put these things to death. To rid myself of things like anger and malice. I don't think I have the capability in my own, in my own spirit to be able to do that. And the truth is, and, and if you've been in church before, you probably know what I'm going to say. We don't have the power in ourselves to do it. We are not completely dependent on God to to rid ourselves of this stuff. But I have to trust in the power of Jesus. The same power that rose him from the dead. That brought life out of death. I have to depend on that same power. The power of Christ's resurrection, his power to overcome this death, is the only place where I can find the power that I need for life change. I am not going to find it on my own. If you read those two verses and you look at those ten things and you're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm not going to live with those things anymore. And you just try to make it up in your mind, you're going to fail in about two days at the, at the best. I fail in like two minutes usually, okay? This is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of religion that we're talking about. It's actually all about yielding to the transforming and healing power of Jesus relationship. So Paul writes at the end of this passage, verses 9 through 11, he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is in all. Uh, Worship me, you guys can come up. I'm going to be done in just a a, a moment here. Um, 
question is, is, do you want to be rid of your old self? The self that is saying, I'm a sinner and I've messed up in so many ways. Um, honestly, I think even a lot of people who don't follow Jesus or say they follow Jesus, I think a lot of people want to be rid of the things in their, their lives that Paul's talking about in this passage. People know instinctively that these things are not healthy for us. But here's what it requires to rid ourselves of our old self. It means putting on a new self. The only identity that really matters is this, new in the image of Jesus. You are new in the image of Jesus. You are not the same person that you once were. You are new in the image of Jesus. The question is, is do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself new in the image of Jesus? We no longer are. If, if, we've, if we've accepted what Jesus did on the cross for us, if we've taken him to be our savior, we are not the same person. We're a completely different person. Um, you have a renewed identity, and you get that identity renewed more and more all the time as you get to know Jesus more. Paul talks about that exactly right here. As you know Jesus more, you become renewed in his image. When you first gave your life to Jesus, you didn't really know Jesus very well. You only knew your old life. And so it was, it was really hard to get away from that old life. But the more that you got to know who Jesus was, and you lived within the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus, you started to walk away from that old life a little bit more all the time. But sometimes we've been doing it so long that I talked about it last week. It's like we try to pull back this old, this old part of ourself. We have to say every single day, Lord, I die to that old part of me. And I'm alive in you, in the newness of who you've made me to be. Without that, we, we don't change for good. Are you growing in the image of Jesus? Is your old self dying a little more every single day? Are you becoming a little bit more alive in Christ every single day? You know, in this passage, at the end it says that this is, there is Jew, Gentile, slave free, it doesn't matter. This is what we have to do. When it comes to taking off the old self, all of us have to do this. Across all races, across all genders, any other lines that you can think of, we are all given a new identity. And the identity is the same. We, again, we live in a culture where we're trying to, to classify our, us in all these different ways. But as Christians, we have one identity and that identity is the exact same thing for every single one of us. You are no longer your old self. You are a new person in Jesus. You are in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. Maybe you don't feel like that today. Maybe you don't feel like you are a new person right now. Maybe you feel like you've been struggling with this old part of yourself and it's been a 15-round battle going on and you're, you feel like you're getting beat. That's not an unusual thing. First of all, let go of the shame of that. Jesus has grace for those of us who are in that place. This morning, I want you to know that you already have the identity change that you're looking for. You are not your old self any longer. If you've taken Jesus into your life, you are new. And so this week, I want you to begin to speak some truth over yourself when those, when those old doubts are coming in. Uh, you are not the sin of your past. 
You are not subject to losing the battle with the sin of your past. You are new in Jesus and you, you are allowed to have this new experience in him where you don't have to fall back on what was in your past. And the beginning piece to this victory is believing that this victory is actually not impossible. Too many times we as Christians, we think it's just, it's a lost cause. I can't change. If you don't think you can change, then it's like saying that I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe that Jesus has the capability of bringing life out of what is dead. Man, when we walk out of this room today, I want every single one of us to say, you know what, whatever it is, the struggle that I've been dealing with, whatever death it is, whatever past thing it is that's in my life that I feel like I can't get rid of, I'm going to believe that Jesus actually can bring me victory. We need people who are serving Jesus who actually find this victory. Because too much of the time, we're just living in our past self. Let's take on the new identity that Jesus gives us today. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.